Hello, welcome back to the Talk L&D podcast. Um, before you listen to the next episode, episode nine, I just wanted to say, um, just bear with us. We, lead, we are all in Leeds and we're in a local lockdown, which meant we had to record this over Zoom. Um, and obviously we're all at home with our families and life happening, uh, happening sort of behind us all as we record this podcast. So if there is a little bit of background noise, um, please be patient with us i hope you can still enjoy the podcast um this episode uh is a really important um podcast i think we have the lovely arini hajanu who is um, a psychotherapist on talking about um, mental health and we talk about mental health this year and how the pandemic has affected people's mental health as well as talking about what employers and leaders um, and what we can all do in the workplace to support each other with our mental health and I feel like this is a particularly important episode um, we kind of decided to do this episode in honour of uh, World Mental Health Day on Saturday the 10th of October but I think also everybody in some way um, is affected by mental health at some point particularly this year and if you are struggling yourself um, as Irene says please reach out to somebody whether that's a GP it's a friend please don't feel like you have to suffer in silence and know that we're all in this together um, you know and if you don't feel you can talk to anybody Samaritans is a phone call way and they um, they are confidential um, there's NHS online um, and I will put some links on the um, the podcast page so thank you very much for tuning in I hope you find this episode useful um, and thank you for listening everybody welcome back to talk lnd podcast we're on to episode nine now um so welcome back and today we've got a guest with us again which is really exciting we've got arini hajianu with us today um and alex is back with us how are you alex yeah good thank you good good yeah, good yeah. yes very happy to be here thanks louisa good yeah um so today um we've got arini on but she's um, a psychotherapist and we're going to talk about mental health in the workplace uh, leading up to world mental health day um so arini is a psychotherapist with numerous years of experience she's a speaker in lots of places including lecturing at universities and training courses for counselors and psychotherapists she's also currently writing her first book which um she nearly finished her first manuscript which is very exciting and she's also an entrepreneur having previously ran a very successful beauty business so she's a woman of many talents welcome to the podcast Irini we're very excited to have you on today thank you um so I thought we could start with you could just tell us a little bit more about your career journey and how you ended up going into psychotherapy yeah I'd be happy to um I think I think people are often confused especially uh with the uh, beauty business side of things as well so uh, yeah, I appreciate from your introduction I might have confused a few people but the psychotherapy came first. Um, I've been a psychotherapist for 10 years, uh, worked in uh, a number of settings. At the moment, I'm solely in my private practice, which is Therapy Leeds. Um, obviously working online because of the pandemic. So um, that's, that's an interesting new addition to, to what I offer. Um, as a psych psychotherapist, I started pretty young. Um, and I think, to be honest, when you are a trainee and you're sort of going out there and working with lots of different people um, I mean for me my experience was kind of really getting to the um, well just kind of really seeing that it's, it's never really just mental health that you're dealing with and I think a lot of psychotherapists and counsellors would say that um, often because sometimes you're the only person that somebody trusts to speak to um, so you might be the only person in their support network so you see all these different things that are going on uh, so for me my work has always included uh, various forms of activism various forms of writing and speaking mostly to raise awareness um, on mental health in general but also my specialist area which is sexual violence and trauma so not a not a light subject <laughs> really no um no. but it's great you've got quite a wide range of experiences it's quite interesting you say it's not just about mental mental health mm -hmm. so what do you mean sort of by that when you say it's not just mental health do these other things feed into mental health do they coexist next to each other yeah yeah and I, I, I'll say and I think really usually in sort of working in the third sector um, where you meet um, I, this isn't exclusive to the third sector obviously see it in private practice too but um, you meet people who, for example, have housing issues or they can't work because of their mental health, so they're on benefits as well. So they're reliant on that support um, from the state. Um, it might be that they have difficulties with, um, say, parenting as well or 
um, they're in work but they're finding it hard um, you know all the basic sort of building blocks of life and there's kind of problems in all of those areas you know and we are, I think we can often think about mental health having a knock-on effect on all of these areas and at the same time I think the flip side really is that you know if if we don't have a lot of kind of practical things in place that can affect our mental health as well so it's I, th I think it's a real back and forth experience for so many people <clears throat> definitely sounds like a bit of a vicious cycle it, it you know it's so in, it's so interesting to hear you say that Irini because I've I've had this thought for a little while about this so I'm not a psychotherapist but um, I'm a psychologist mm -hmm. and so I've looked at this not from a practical point of view but from an academic point of view so it'd be really interesting to have your view on this but one of the things that kind of occurred to me when I was looking into talk evidence-based talking therapies like CBT mm -hmm. and that sort of thing is that when you look at why people come to it very often they come to talking therapists because they you know they've got concerns about their mental health or or how they're coping with things but when you, when you look at what people bring to the table to discuss it's they bring very real practical problems mm -hmm. actually and I just sort of always think in my mind well is, do you, is, it, is it mental health or, or actually, are you just having a really terrible time? <laughs> you know, uh -huh, yeah, actually, yeah. And, and actually that what, you know, how you're reacting to that is a completely normal way to react to being in a very stressful yeah. situation and, you know, or to dealing with very real, real world problems, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of, I sometimes wonder about, is it, is, it a men, is it about mental health or is it about actually strategies to deal with, problems in the real world you know sometimes really significant problems yeah I think that's such a valuable viewpoint and I think about that a lot as well actually and um I know in the awareness raising work that I do and the, the sort of the more the more activist side of things a lot of it really is just kind of normalizing like you say people's responses to stressful mm. things um and you know I can tell you from my experience and having worked with a lot of people that have um experience sexual violence and you know trauma from other life events um they're so alone in what they're experiencing that they you know i think worst case scenarios start to feel like you know they're the crazy ones but actually um you know um stress responses to something as violating as you know sexual violence for example is of course absolutely normal um and I, th I think that position of sort of feeling quite alone in it can start to make people feel like, you know, they're not in control of their own life. Um, the world doesn't really make sense anymore either. You know, their frame of reference for themselves and other people and the world is kind of gone. And I think we can really widen that to other mental health kind of difficulties, even, you know, the more common ones like depression or anxiety. You know, those experiences could, can really colour how you kind of see yourself in the world and other people when... Um, you know, you're right. I think people are looking for sort of, you know, practical advice, structure, you know, that's what yeah. psychotherapists, counsellors, psychologists can help with. Um, but I think most of all people really just want reassurance. Yeah. Mm. I think um, I've just started this last week actually delivering mental health training where I work. And we talk about the mental health continuum of sort of what's healthy, sort of struggling and then becoming unwell. And mm -hmm. it's kind of that thing, isn't it, that life is challenging and it's only natural that our mental health will respond to that and what I talk what we've been talking about is often people associate mental health I think with ill health they don't necessarily yeah. view it as like our physical health so we've been talking in the training of like well just as with your physical health if you're doing all the right things eating well you know getting enough sleep you'll feel good but then if you start to neglect that and you're working really hard you begin to get a bit run down and then if you get you let yourself stay run down you end up getting a cold or flu it's no different with your yeah. mental health yeah I think yeah you know, that thing that, like you said, there's so many different things that people face, like financial, especially during the financial difficulties, you might go through a divorce, you might experience a bereavement or a loss. Job, um, job loss, job yeah. losses at the moment, you know, yeah. hugely stressful um, experience to go through. Yeah, and also students. Um, I work a lot with students, um, so I'm kind of hearing firsthand from them about, you know, what it's like to go into the academic year during this pandemic. Um, and also just kind of seeing the numbers rising on the news and, you know, how universities are trying to manage it. You know, this is, you know, unfortunately, all of our real lives at the moment. And like you say, a lot of mental health is responding to the challenges of life. Yeah. Um, and I think, like you said, COVID, um, in fact, I was talking about this today, about COVID in terms of if you've got anxiety, COVID's like a yeah. bit of a nightmare, really, in raising yeah. health anxiety or anxiety generally. And then 
talking, we talked about addiction and disconnection and how that we as human beings want to connect with generally, you know, it's a kind of a basic human need, isn't it? To have a sense of belonging. And for some people, this time has meant that you not around other people as much. And, you know, they say that alcohol sales have gone up and I, I kind of concerned that we're going to have this other pandemic of sort of mental health and, and sort of alcohol abuse um, in people's response of a way to cope with um, things. Mm -hmm. And I think what you were saying, Alex, as well, about people's ability to cope. So depending Mm -hmm. on your life experience and your level of resilience, you know, some people can cope with things and they can take so much and other people, it's like all about your ability to to cope and everyone's got different sort of coping strategies, um, depending on what they've kind of been through before. But I think it's definitely a challenging time um, mm-hmm. for people mm. with mental health <coughs> challenges. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, but 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 yeah, I I yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Because because um, I know it's interesting. Like this thing about being able to cope. Mm. What, one thing that I've observed, um, not not just now, but I think this is over over the last few years, is that people who within a certain frame of reference could be incredibly resilient so you know i don't know some of my you know some of my ex-army colleagues or mountaineers or people like that who so within within their own frame of reference are incredibly resilient and, and great problem solvers and, and, and can, can can cope in very difficult circumstances and situations but when the challenges or the problems are outside of that frame of reference. So outside of that sort of structure of resilience, which they've built up, which is, you know, climbing the mountain or leading the team and that sort of thing. And I've noticed this when, when people have, you know, left that organization, have gone through a career change, or they have um, had a real setback in their professional life or in their personal life, um, that it's knocked them in a really big way so even people who are and you know maybe pride themselves on their resilience even so actually when the unexpected happens and that unexpected event is outside of their frame of reference it still affects them in a in a in a significant way so i it, which is which is which is something i've observed and it's kind of made me think carefully about resilience mm-hmm. that we might think that we're resilient and within our own controlled frame of reference we might be very resilient but it's when the unexpected thing happens which is outside of that frame of reference everybody seems to be the same it, you know we all get knocked you know and um and 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 and, and it can impact people in a really unfortunate way for a long period of time mm. so i know and i you know and it's 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 like uh, well you think, okay, I'm, I'm a pretty resilient person because I've been around the block and I've done a few things and this sort of thing. But then COVID happens and it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. 100%. yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like, actually, I'm not as resilient as I think. Mm. And I guess so, it's about, yeah. it sounds like it's a level of control, how much you feel you've got control over your life mm, and your circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds yeah, like from what right. you're saying, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Irini, it's when something happens that's completely beyond our control yes. that completely yeah, sidelines us right. that then you feel like well if that's happened what else don't i have control over that's right i thought yeah. i had control but actually i don't yeah and i think with the pandemic i mean none of us we're, we're all learning how to deal with it as we go which you know um i think in some ways there's a validity to your point louisa about you know people who maybe have a level of resilience or experience themselves as, you know, um, maybe quite capable or self-sufficient, you know, to use different terms in some way, you know, maybe, um, you know, have, have kind of maybe learned a bit more quickly to adapt in a way. Um, because I think the other thing that the pandemic has um, kind of really brought up is our sense of not only a loss of control, but I think loss in so many other ways. And I think for some people that's much more concrete because people have died. Uh, know this. Yeah. Um, but also um, control in terms of our own personal freedoms and that's such a fundamental part of being a human being you know you can't go outside you can't see people um, you can't go to work um, that's brought such a different kind of experience of again ourselves and you know and the world as well so I'm, I'm really aware in some ways 
you know, and I have been transparent with my clients as a therapist because it's one of those really weird, rare occasions where they know a little bit about what my life is like because they're both going through the pandemic, whereas normally they don't know anything about me unless I choose to tell them or, you know, maybe they read something about me, you know, that I've written or online or whatever. But um, I, I think just kind of staying connected through this very strange experience um, is, is helpful in really kind of, I think each of us on an, on an individu- individual level, learning to navigate it. And I think also being confronted with our mental health in a very acute way. Um, you know, I think even actually for people say who have been furloughed and you know they, they they're not working and maybe there's not so much else going on practically day to day you're sort of being confronted with yourself constantly in a way that you never have done before and I think for a lot of people that's quite a shock and a little bit unsettling um because normally normally our lives are a little bit more full than that and um I'm really aware that a lot of people that you know normally struggle with their mental health quite a lot do have that very day-to-day living or even hour-to-hour living um but you know for other people life has never been like that before but we're suddenly all reduced to the state of living which is uh, pretty alien and distressing for most of us yeah I think that's a really good point actually um and actually I was talking to some team the other day about about the sense of purpose so when they were doing furlough they just didn't have that sense of purpose and that was really particularly you're sort of working in hospitality that's very very full-on it's very busy yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like whoa the rug's been pulled from under them um and I think that's big thing for people that's particularly that busy is that sense of that sense of purpose has has gone Mm -hmm. so talking about furlough um and kind of work during this time um how sort of what do you think were sort of employers could do to support team members through this time because obviously as well if you've got people that are on their own um you know normally you spend more time at work than you do anywhere else and you know, some people are still working and working from home. What do you think, what are things that employers can do during this time around mental health to check in with their team? Mm -hmm. I I mean, I think even in that act of just kind of, you know, like you say, checking in with their team, I think just being more intentional about that and maybe like properly scheduling it in. Um, uh, Because I'm really aware in terms of, um, what I do you know yes I'm a mental health practitioner and I am available but that doesn't mean someone's going to come to me or feel able to do that and for me I kind of really think about that in terms of accessibility um, and in some ways I think for employers particularly around mental health there's something about you know how do you make you accessible like how do you make you know any support or a listening ear that you can provide accessible um, so that for me I think means kind of stepping towards your employees be really explicit about what you can do what you're available for when you're available um i think it's really helpful for employers as well to know like for example like because i've been a manager before in a few different settings and as much as you make yourself approachable you're not perhaps you know within the hierarchy of an organization maybe seen as the most approachable person um you know having a meeting with your manager can be pretty scary so i think for employers sort of at the you know if there is a hierarchy in your organization maybe get really proactive and engage lots of different people at all levels of the organization to say look collectively we need to all look after each other this is how we're going to do it um can we all get on board to deliver the same message of if you need support these are the you know the range of people that you can approach because um i think even kind of stepping forward if if you're not feeling so great in your mental health is is a big step in itself so i think kind of that two-way process can be pretty helpful to hopefully increase someone's chances of just being met in the middle really and you know you can take it from there i think that's a really good point and like you say getting on every level because um you know alex and i talk about cultures and it's great one person in the business being like proactive towards mental health but if you've you're in a culture that isn't sort of conducive to that it's about having a culture that people feel safe to be vulnerable and can come forward so i think you're right there and like making sure everybody on every single level is singing on the the same the same mm-hmm. hymn sheet um so that that's consistent message is is coming across um it, it, it's one of the key um positives perhaps to come out of lockdown and all of that is how um this concept of well-being has gone from sitting very much on the fringes to being certainly i think for the majority of responsible organizations quite front and center I mean, not every organization for some i think it probably is still a bit on the fringes actually 
Um, but this concept of well-being sort of actually, so rather than it being um, a sideline thought now, actually more front and centre, it is more like looking at this more strategically. So how do we give people access to um, to support and then, you know, and then how do we do that ourselves well, you know, and um, and so that, you know, it's it's considered to be right up there alongside physical health and safety you know mm-hmm. um and and i've seen that definitely in the last last two or three months you know talking to a number of business owners particularly in manufacturing that sort of thing um in the northeast of england that um it's it's gone from being a fringe concept to actually yeah. we really need to do this well you know think about it strategically you know um and, and invest in it as well mm, yeah um, yeah. Definitely. In fact, I was um, looking at some stats today and, you know, people are your biggest asset in a business, essentially. And if your mm-hmm. people are healthy, your business will be healthy. And a stat from 2018, there was 17.5 million days lost to sickness, which was related to mental ill health. That is a mm-hmm. lot of sick days. And, you know, I think we can't, aff- you can't afford not to look after your team and make sure your team are okay. And I think, this whole old way of sort of pushing your team, burning them out. It just isn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, It's not a model that works. Um, Mm. I think a lot about um, like language in the work that I do as well, particularly because I try to, again, back to accessibility and also just welcome lots of different kinds of people into the services that I offer. And I think particularly around more perhaps sensitive issues like trauma, um, or maybe, you know, uh, in terms of, say, like sexual violence as an umbrella term, there are certain words around that in terms of specific types of sexual violence that are re-triggering for some people. So um, I think it's really helpful as an organisation to consider the language that you use around mental health, maybe use a few different words around it so people can latch onto what makes sense for them. Because if, you know, it's all well and good an employer sort of being really geared up to be available, offer support, etc. But if it's an alien concept, it's just not going to help. Yeah, that's right. So, what would you say in terms of language, Umini? What's the kind of, what would be a good example of that for somebody that might want to move in that direction? Yeah, I think, um, to be honest, I kind of, uh, uh, one of the things, probably unsurprisingly, I hear the most often from from people, um, you know, when I meet them for the first time and we're really trying to figure out, you know, what are the problems? What do you want to change? You know, people just say, you know, I just want to feel better. So, you know, I think just even, you know, and, you know, we've used the word well-being, say, you know, as, as an alternative to mental health. And, you know, that can be a good one. Um, self-care is another sort of word that's been floating around a lot more these days, which I think um, is probably being a bit dissected a bit more. And I think quite rightly, um, because uh, I think there's lots of... Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, capitalism does its thing. So there's, yeah. you know, the, the a traditional idea of self-care is, oh, how many bath bombs can you buy? Which is, yeah. I mean, you know, some people's idea of a really great time, but for other people, <laughs> one isn't an option and two, they wouldn't like it anyway. So, um, but I think, you know, like, I think going back to an earlier concept about, you know, how mental health kind of feeds into everything and vice versa, um, you know, even just kind of setting up more social events because kind of, um, you know, these days, I guess it's more via Zoom, but just that sense we're collective we're together you know let's let's establish a you know a free-flowing conversation where we you know we can touch on you know how are you doing you know you know and just just much more casual conversation around mental health and the questions that we can ask that just aren't so serious I mean for example um as a therapist I really don't like the phrase like how does that make you feel (laughs) it's a bit of a cliche so I feel I feel silly even saying it and I think some people just I don't know I don't really like it so I I I tend to say something like you know what's that like for you including sort of say for example if someone's experiencing anxiety I'll say oh okay so you described that a little bit for me but can you say like a little bit more about you know what what that what does that look like for you and I think that's a much more accessible term um and a less kind of being caught in the spotlight kind of experience for somebody that is trying to sound out you know how much you know I need help but I don't know how to ask for it Sounds a lot less intimidating, actually. Mm. I think when you think about mental health and mental ill health, those terms 
So, you know, even diagnosis can be quite scary, can't it? So it sounds mm. like it's just making it a bit more human and a bit more relatable. I think that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. I've just finished Caitlin Walker's book on this called, uh, it's called um, From Contempt to Curiosity, and it's about clean language and uh, using yeah. these questions just like that. So what's that like for you? And, you know, and is there anything else about that? And so that the, 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 the language that you use is purely about helping the client to explore their own mental models of things mm -hmm. really good really Amazing. really interesting yeah it's a lovely um and and actually of course actually that's a that 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 careful careful use of clean language so that you know where it's it, it's there to facilitate rather than put any of your own judgment mm. or own views actually is a, is a is a wonderful tool i think for a multitude of different um situations and contexts yeah yeah. So essentially it's kind of like you are a human talking to another human and, and when you're having that you want to check in with somebody it's essentially forget all your stuff be completely mm. present and yes. it's about entering that per trying to enter that what person's world a little bit right, finding yeah. out what's going yeah, on for yeah, them yeah. don't bring yeah. any of your judgments don't bring any of your That's preconceived right. knowledge and it's like yeah. almost like you're blank say like a baby not like a baby that's crying but like you know like you don't know anything and actually mm -hmm. you tell me what your experience is and i want mm. i care so I want to know about your experience. That's essentially yeah. kind of yeah, it, isn't I it? I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think that's a great, great little tip, um, tip of advice. So we've talked a lot of sort of about mental health, like how the pandemic's affected people and, you know, kind of symptoms and how we can have conversations about mental health. What are the things people can do to kind of try and keep themselves mentally healthy? Yeah, um, always a good question. Um, and I think we've talked about how um, in people's, I know Louisa, you and I have talked about this before, but um, I think, again, our experience, collective experience of having our lives really, really pared back because of the pandemic um, and trying to stop the spread of the virus means that I think people have had to, you know, really reduce their life down to the basics. And obviously that, I think for some people comes with a bit of a relief, um, to be honest, because... Um, <laughs> you know suddenly your diary's not as full but in some ways that's great because my full diary was really stressing me out and it was upsetting my sleep and actually now I can move at a slower pace I mean equally for other people um having your life kind of really pared back does really bring up some you know distress and anxiety because you know you know life just isn't how we recognize it um but there is a benefit to that in the sense that um obviously our mental health is very much linked to our physical health so it is you know taking off things like is my sleep in check um am i eating when i'm hungry am i drinking when i'm thirsty you know am i having some sort of safe social contact when i can do that you know and also like what do i feel like doing today that just just generally feels good whether it's kind of going out for a walk um i don't know reading something doing something kind of like crafty um and i really want to avoid kind of being yet another mental health professional that's like oh take a nice deep breath because i really don't think that that's helpful and i'm not trying to be really reductionist about it but there is something about breaking up your day with something that is kind of physically and psychologically soothing which is a really good way to just practice kind of just looking after yourself anyway and also just returning to a state of you being met with you in a nice comfortable way and I, I meet so many people that are so overwhelmed by what they're experiencing if, if their mental health isn't great that they just become very kind of scared of just experiencing anything and actually if we can find smaller moments where we feel safe and comfortable and soothed within ourselves then and if that's in our control then that's a great way to just start kind of really widening that experience you know with, with the tools that you have yeah I like that Irene I think that's great we were talking about um well-being toolkits today at work so like everyone had to share something that was in their toolkit as when they you've got that in your toolkit so when you feel you're beginning to get stressed when you feel like things it's like what can you pull out what can you do mm -hmm. to just kind of you know thinking like what could, what will help you stop sort of getting more stressed um i think it's really really important um so i think that's great thank you for sharing that and, and what about people that are really struggling and they can't seem to bring themselves back what what kind of help what where should they go to get help yeah um i can probably best comment on things like you know where to find a counsellor or a psychotherapist because um, obviously help looks like different things to different people 
Um, if you are um, somebody that, um, I mean, your GP is always a really good first port of call in terms of, you know, a gateway into sort of further kind of referral. Um, equally, if you're somebody that's in a position where you can afford to pay for private therapy, um, there are directories online such as Psychology Today or the Counselling Directory, and you can you can kind of really filter what you're looking for in terms of this is the issue I need support with. I want somebody, for example, who's quite LGBT friendly or, you know, uh, those sorts of things. Um, and I mean, in terms of crisis support, there's obviously national organizations like the Samaritans. Um, there's, um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of like Leeds specifically, yeah. I know your listeners might be further afield, but um, a really great online resource for Leeds um, that really helps you find your way through support, whether it's talking therapy or otherwise, is MindWell. Um, okay. so if you go on Google, go on MindWell, um, it'll list all the different things you might be looking for, including crisis support, if that's where you're at. Uh, awesome. That's really helpful. Thank you, Irene. I'm sure some people out there will, um, will really appreciate that. <laughs> can, um, I, can, I, can I just sort of ask, just around that as well. So um, I'm just thinking about uh, people who are in management positions who are worried about their colleagues or no not even not even necessarily management management positions but but say you know you you're you're concerned about team members colleagues and that sort of thing how would you suggest that they approach that you know because i i think it can be quite um a, a cause of anxiety actually about how how to engage with that person in the team who shut shut themselves off who is clearly not in a good place how should they approach that do you think yeah i think um i i've seen this before when i've delivered training within organizations um kind of in, i guess if we go back to the hierarchy again maybe more senior and employers employees kind of saying you know um I don't really know what to do. I'm not a trained mental health professional, you know, kind of sitting with their own anxiety. And, you know, unfortunately, if we're anxious ourselves, we can't think clearly. So, you know, that can really affect our decision making in terms of what's the best thing to do on top of really actually just wanting to take care of somebody. So um, first suggestion is when you are in a more calmer kind of place, like really work on your procedures and your policies so that if you're a little bit stressed, you can basically go and look at you know whatever policy you've created um, and that can be your guide as well and that's quite grounding to look at um, equally um, I, I, I really wouldn't be afraid of asking kind of direct questions particularly if you're um, somebody that is actually becoming very concerned like somebody's gone very quiet for a few days no one can get hold of them that kind of thing um, and I'm thinking as well when I've worked in organisations, um, I mean, for example, I did some training at the University of Law last, um, last year and it was the staff who wanted to know how to better respond to mental health disclosures from students. And a lot of the questions that came up was, you know, we often get people saying they feel suicidal and we really don't know what to do. And I said, firstly, an, an empathic listening response can do wonders to reduce somebody's distress. So simply by being available to listen, listen in a non-judgmental way makes somebody feel less isolated. That's a great intervention in itself. Um, equally, what you're doing is kind of holding and containing them and helping them to uh, access further support because that's not your role. And also in terms of direct questions, in order for you to really know exactly what they need, I think particularly when someone's feeling very vulnerable and they might not be able to verbalize it. Let me know that you're feeling suicidal. Are, these, are they just thoughts? How do you manage those thoughts? What do they feel like? Do you have a plan? You know, does anyone else know you feel like this? And they can be quite scary questions to ask, but actually if it's coming from a place of care, and you're also giving somebody else space to just be with you and be supported by you. That, that kind of human to human contact in the midst of a crisis can be, you know, such a helpful and powerful thing. Um, so, like I say, I think it's a real mix of that kind of uh, human empathy and also just, just having a plan in advance so that you don't get overtaken by your own anxiety and start panicking yourself, uh, which might lead to sort of like mismanaging the situation. Mm. So some great bit of advice there. I mean, it's actually quite simple as well, mm. isn't it? It's mm. you know, empathy, listen, no judgment. And it's everybody can do but that. I think, but I think... It, I, I think people find those that quite an intimidating Absolutely. place to be. Definitely. Yeah, and it, it, it's a lot of responsibility, but the way I explain it to my clients mm. that feel suicidal is that, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, if we go back to the CBT approach that you mentioned, Alex, you know, often when the pressure really builds, something has to give. For some people, it's their sleep isn't great. For some people, they start drinking too much. But, you know, a lot of people, their thoughts start to become very negative. They can become very frightening. Um, when we experience suicidal thoughts, it's because we feel that pressure so much and we might feel so alone in it that, you know, our mind needs to create an option. Um, you know, even if it's an option that isn't attracted to us and actually we find quite scary, you know, our, our mind is actually trying to soothe our distress, albeit in, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people, a very distressing way. Mm. But like I say, something's got to give. And I think even just recognizing, you know, I can see you're under a lot of pressure and, you know, you're, you're trying to find a way through and, and your mind is searching through all these different things. And, you know, sometimes it lands on, you know, wanting to hurt yourself. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm really aware when I'm saying this, I'm saying this with a certain level of confidence because I do this work all the time. Mm. Um, so it's definitely not the same thing to say a manager who's not a mental health professional, <laughs> yeah. but um, that, that's partly what I mean by sort of being prepared. You can practice within your, like within your team um, or, or go for some training that, that helps you to feel confident in asking these questions. And ultimately you could really, really help somebody that needs it. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, there's quite a lot of different mental health training out there as well. Now you've got like mm -hmm. mental health first aid, um, which is which is a good kind of program. Um, but I feel like you say, I think it's about training. I think training your, your managers and how to have just a basic conversation with somebody that might be a little bit distressed. Or I think that's your space where you can practice and build a bit of confidence in a safe space. Yeah, and I think there's something about, you know our main reason for meeting today is really about you know how do we make mental health a part of regular everyday conversation mm -hmm. if you if you've got employers that are scared themselves to broach the subject including the more challenging elements of it and that's absolutely not going to filter down to anywhere else in the organization and you know we're humans and we pick up on nonverbal things too and that will feed into a culture of you know oh we don't talk about this so i think it kind of takes a bit of bravery on everybody's part um um to to really kind of take this on and um you know overall when that's done really well it's it's a really great thing yeah 100 percent. it's all about culture i, I can culture. see though i can see though the need um in a very tangible need for some quite careful training in that area Absolutely. actually it's just yeah. because you this is shedderini you know you do this all the time and actually as you expressed it there you think well yeah that does sound really straightforward but then there's another little voice in my mind it's a very different experience that's like, mm, yeah. i'm not sure <laughs> i'm i yeah. i i can i can see that being really difficult actually to do you know mm. um, yeah yeah it, it's hard because yeah. what you're doing is stepping towards somebody's distress and obviously you're going to feel it as well you know and it is worth me being honest that you know I'm a human being too it's not like you know I'm my my role is to be calm in the face of anyone's distress whatever that looks like but that doesn't mean I'm not moved by it and I'm not concerned um so like I say I think actually in terms of organizations it's um it's not it's not their job to be mental health professionals if, if that's not what they're there for. Um, but there's something about meeting a person where they are and kind mm. of holding it enough that yes. between the two, you know, between them and their employee who needs help, um, you know, they can sort of be held a little bit that, you know, before they get, you know, access to, to other more appropriate forms of support mm. where the work on that can be done. I think that's a really good point. And I think the thing about work is you probably spend more time at work than you do a lot of other places. And, your employer might be more, more likely to notice changes in you than say somebody mm -hmm. else in your life. And I think that's where the more, you know, you can train your team around having these conversations because um, yeah, work is such a key part of people's lives and work mm -hmm. can cause a lot of stress, but it can also be a space where people connect. If someone lives alone or they feel quite alone, work is that one outlet that they've got. And I think, um, you know, in that way, as much as they're not mental health professionals, I do think employers have a duty of care in respect mm -hmm. of you do see your team members a lot. And if you see somebody struggling or you see changes in behavior or something has changed that it's quite concerning, I think they do have a mm -hmm. duty to pick up and check in on that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, part of the way that I think about it in terms of, say, you know, um, 
I guess what I would clinically call risk management. For me, there's, there's a decision that I make, and I think, you know, maybe this is helpful for any sort of employers or, or organizations out there, is, you know, is this a situation where you're seeing something kind of escalating, um, you know, and, you know, is it appropriate to not do anything, I think is the bigger question. Mm -hmm. And in terms of what you do actually do, um, if, you, if you feel that it's the right time to do something, could be just sort of a, hey, how are you doing? I haven't heard from you, from you for a couple of days, um, you know, or, you know, and I think particularly at the moment where a lot of people are working remotely, you know, like just sort of saying, what's your day like? Are you seeing much of anyone? You know, all those questions are kind of not necessarily to double check whether there's an issue or not, but I think out of a place of genuine care and concern and just kind of really facilitate, you know, for a lot of people, what might be a very difficult conversation. The, the thing that I'm hearing, what's, what I'm sort of hearing with those sorts of questions is this sort of positive regard, you know, mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that it's that, that when you approach that individual, you do it with their best interests at heart and, you know, yeah, because sure. you, rather than say, oh, you know, we haven't seen you for a couple of days and, well, you know, how, how's your performance? Which is, I'm just sort of thinking how this could be done clumsily and, and realistically by, by, you know, with it very excusably, but how it could be interpreted yeah. wrongly, actually. And actually, then yeah. those interactions from a manager actually become another source of stress rather than... Yeah, I know what you mean, because I'm, I'm obviously aware I come from a completely different field and, you know, by the nature of it, we are talking about mental health so if somebody expresses something you know that that's the lens with which I'm kind of you know like working <laughs> with somebody so I, I do I, I do get absolutely what you're saying um which again you know might point back to something you know we sort of thought about earlier which is okay who is the person that's asking those questions mm, you know would yes, that make yes. it easier I think um, that's right yeah 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 I like what you said about having people at every level who are kind of equipped mm -hmm. to have these basic human to human conversations, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think as well, you know, cause I'm, I'm aware that there's something about feeling the weight of responsibility on an employer. And, you know, Louise said, you know, there's a duty of care there, which, you know, I absolutely agree with. And at the same time, because you're not a mental health professional when mm -hmm. you're somebody's employer necessarily, I think that can really build up the anxiety and, you know, how do we approach this mental health thing? How do we approach wellbeing? You know, I can see someone struggling, but I don't know what to do. Um, it might be helpful for me to kind of give a principle that I use in my work, which I think could be translatable, which is that, you know, yes, I am there to um, provide support, advice, you know, listen, all those sorts of things. But the bottom line is, is that for however long or short somebody works with me for, my job is to enable them to be able to internalize the work that we do and really use it for themselves, you know, either in between sessions or, you know, after our work has ended. So I think in terms of employers, there's something about this is a two-way process and you're not being asked to be somebody's kind of parent or carer. You're being asked to facilitate an environment where you can step to them and they can step towards you and between the two of you figure out, okay, you know, what's my responsibility here? What do you need to feel enabled to get the support that you need? Um, and also that's a much more empowering position to work from um, rather than, you know, say maybe a, a slightly clumsy sort of a senior manager sort of asking questions that get that, that get misinterpreted. It's, it's a more sort of like, actually, I'm really interested in you. Where are you starting from now? How is that getting you through day to day? And how can we build on that? Mm. I think that's a great a great way to look at it. I like that um, I'm stepping towards you so you can step towards me and then enable you to get the help that you need. I think that's a, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's really important. You know, you're not, it's not about rescuing. It's not about fixing. It is literally, it's opening, it's just, it's basically a conversation. It's opening up a conversation to find out how they're doing and then helping them find, find what they need um, mm -hmm. and to, to go away and do that. So I think that's a great, a great analogy there, Avini, for people to to take away. Um, I'm just going to sort of summarise. We've talked about quite a lot of different stuff. So obviously we've talked about sort of mental health, the causes of mental health, like life changes, challenges life can throw at us, um, and different people have different sort of levels of resilience. And we've also talked about COVID, 2020 and COVID, um, and the impact that that has had on people's mental health in numerous different ways from anxiety, isolation, just a massive change, sort of taking away people's freedoms. Um, we've kind of talked about things people can do to keep themselves mentally well. 
um, workplace cultures. So training everybody on every level, make sure everyone's singing on the same page in terms of, of mental health so that people can have those conversations. And beautifully put by you, Irene, is that, you know, it's not about sort of rescuing anybody. It's about being able to enabling people to have those conversations in safe ways to enable that person that is struggling to go away and get the mm -hmm. support that they need. I think that's just, that's essentially what it is. It's about being human with each other and just mm -hmm. having a bit of empathy and, and caring for each other. Um, which I think, I think, I, I think the things you've come out with will hopefully be really valuable for people in, in the workplace just to get some ideas and tips of what they can do. Alex, have you got anything else you want to add? Well, in no, I only want to say, I think it's been really wonderful. And, and this isn't, you know, this is kind of, um, I, I think it's such a you know it's such a hot topic at the moment you know and yeah, we talk about it, we're talking about this all the time just 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 right now you know and very much alongside physical health is now um, you know well-being more holistic um, views on well-being and and um, I'd, I'd be good if we can sort of can, if you will you come back and do another one if we could do yes, this yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to come back thank you so much yeah and <laughs> And let's, yeah, and, um, and let's see, it would be great just to look at when, um, I think, you know, when we start to come out the other side of all this. Post. Yeah, and, mm. and, and we do start to yeah. normalise, you know, in early next year, hopefully. But that will okay. bring its own challenges, presumably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I have got a couple more questions, which I sort of, we've asked our previous guests, I just think they're quite interesting questions to ask so what's been your biggest challenge in your career and how have you overcome it <laughs> okay um oh okay so to be honest um one of my biggest challenges um because I started training as a psychotherapist like relatively young um compared to most people I think I was like 22 by about a week um um and uh that, for some reason that's really rare for psychotherapists um so actually i faced a lot of ageism when i was uh you know developing along the way and unfortunately that sort of translated to people kind of really doubting my abilities um standing in the way of opportunities i was creating for myself and um you know not to sort of uh, create a sense of i don't know the therapy world not being a great place because it is but every so often i, I kind of really encountered that so i actually just had to really learn how to forge my own path and i definitely do that um i'm i'm you know you can probably tell I'm, I'm not really afraid of kind of pointing out my own strengths because I, I you know that's a good quality i try to promote that in other people as well um but i think um yeah I, I think when those sorts of things were sort of happening to me it is definitely a knockback um i think particularly when you're younger and you're sort of a trainee and you're maybe look, looking up to other people figuring out how things work whilst also sort of coming into your own as a professional um it, it it just made me more determined to just keep going to be honest and also i think just really solidified an ethos that i've that i've always held which is that there's enough space for everybody um, we each have our own thing to contribute to our field um, and you know I, I know some really amazing counsellors and psychotherapists that do uh, incredible work inside and outside of therapy rooms and so if if I can be part of that collective effort then I'd really like to do that so that's 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 really um, where I'm at on it at the moment. Yeah that's really insightful and um, yeah really good share that because actually a lot of people you don't think you often don't think about sort of somebody up and coming generally people try and encourage encourage you don't you so but you've done well Irina you've done um, you've done really well thank you um, okay and what about what leader has inspired you and why oh gosh um I think I might be a bit disappointing here because I don't really have like mentors or like you know I, I mean and I guess that might say a lot about me in in light of you know the, the previous question yeah. which is that you know I often um I mean there's a reason I'm self-employed I, I really like doing things on my own terms I like being my own boss um I like having a handle on lots of different projects myself so I don't really kind of look up to people as such however I will say um one thing that I um I'm really always moved by is um, how so many people are doing such good work. And even if it's from a very small act, um, that stuff all builds up. Um, so, I mean, for example, at the moment, I'm keeping an eye on the um, 
the sort of situation in terms of you know refugees and asylum seekers in this country it's a client group I've worked with before um, it's something within my family's history so it's, it's you know a topic I really resonate with um, there's some incredible organizations out there doing stuff within the UK and overseas so for example there's an organization called Choose Love Oh, yeah. um, and I will say they they do excellent humanitarian work. Um, they're doing a lot of stuff in the um, Greek refugee camps um, at the moment. But I think, especially in terms of this year and sort of looking back, and in terms of you know the Black Lives Matter movement and everybody, you know, organisations being really kind of um, much more quite rightly proactive about say their their anti-racism statements and their anti-racism stuff. I would say Choose Love came out with a really exceptional um, statement around that and an action plan. Um, and, you know, you know, going back to what we said earlier about organisation, it's what you do at every level and those small things that we each do, um, you know, that collectively make such a difference. So um, I can't really name names aside from that, but I'm always really um, impressed and moved by, I, I think, the work that so many people are doing just to kind of connect with each other as human beings. I love that. Um, and yeah, Choose Love, I've heard of them. They're, they're a fantastic organisation. Um, mm -hmm. And finally, what's one final message you would give um, about mental health to our listeners? What would it be? Well, last, last, last word. <laughs> yeah, um, it would be um, don't be afraid of what you're experiencing. Um, you know, it's, it's not shameful to ask for help. Um, I think you'd be surprised if you opened up to somebody about the response that you would get um you know don't sit alone in in your distress and what you're feeling really scared with um you know in any way you can connect with somebody thank you so much Irene I think um I, I hope this podcast even if it helps one person out there I think it's been invaluable so thank you so much for coming on and talking with us um thank, thank you. you for listening everybody oh Irene actually where can people find you if they want to find out more <laughs> yes Okay, so um, my uh, my private practice is called Therapy Leads. I also offer consultancy for businesses, um, other counsellors and psychotherapists. Um, I'm a writer and a speaker as well. Always up for being contacted for collaborations with, with anybody. So my website is therapy-leads.co.uk. Um, I'm also on Instagram, which is at Therapy Leads. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Rini. Well, let's tell you Thank what, you. though. Talk about multi-talented very oh, yeah. that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, great to, it was really lovely to talk to you thank you very much for your time thank you so much for yeah. having me it's been mm. a pleasure so thank you very much for listening everybody and um i hope that's been helpful to you it is world mental health day on saturday 10th of october so maybe do something something from your well-being toolkit to mark uh world mental health day and we will be back soon with another episode thank you very much everybody thank you thank you